It's another edition of the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast. I'm your set-in host, although I'm getting pretty comfortable in this chair, Brad Lominick. Glad you're here. Glad you're listening. Glad you're tuning in. Glad to be in your ears. Thanks for the access to your ears and your hearts, and hopefully to your minds and souls and everything else in between. This is going to be part two of Ray Johnston's teaching seven things every pastor needs to do specifically in the next 30 to 45 days. So if you haven't listened to episode one of this or watched that video, go back and and find that episode. It should be the one right before this one on your podcast app. You can also watch that video at thriveconference.org of part one or part two this week. So let's get into it. Let's not waste any time. This is uh, the Grand Poobah, the founding pastor, Bayside Church founding uh, leader of Thrive and Thrive Conferences, Ray Johnston, really diving into a very important topic right now. The things that all of us as leaders, but specifically all of us as pastors need to be doing in the next few days, 30 to 45 days, maybe 60 days. This is part two. Here we go. Ray Johnston. Uh, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Ray Johnston Webinar and Leadership Podcast. Uh, so glad you're with us. We are on election countdown. Could it get any crazier? And before I start, I just want to pray for you, for our churches, uh, for how everybody's going to respond to whatever happens. Um, this has been very sad. It's almost like, could it get any crazier? And part of that is both political parties are playing scorched earth. Neither political party is actually presenting its own case. They are just attacking the other case, the other side, which means Americans have been polarized. And as they've gotten polarized from their news sources, they're getting more and more inflamed, more and more angry, more and more disconnected, more and more divided. And wouldn't you agree, we have the divided states of America right now. And the problem is this, we have all these people in our church which means all of us are now pastoring churches where people are deeply divided to the point where they are actually offended and shocked that anybody could see anything politically in a way different than they do, which means we are now pastoring churches that don't look anything like Jesus's prayer in John 17, where he prayed we would be one. And this is a really important thing because when you have the unity that is in the book of Acts, you have the power that is in the book of Acts and the church has got to get its unity back. Um, if you didn't catch it, you can go back a couple weeks. As a matter of fact, you need a sermon for next Sunday, steal it. Um, we did a global message, myself, Andy Stanley, Chris Brown, uh, Bob Goff, Jason Kane, some other folks. We did a global message on the separation of church and hate. And in there, we just kept making one point over and over and over again. And the point is this, people, most Christians are massively missing the mark. And here's why. They're making a point instead of making a difference. They're making a point instead of making a difference. And it is always cheaper and easier to make a point. Matter of fact, you feel better when you make a point. You feel superior when you make a point. You feel like judgmental when you make a point. And Judging people always feels good. It's self-destructive, but it feels good. Okay, and the problem—you know what the problem is? This making a point instead of making a difference. Making a difference takes longer, costs more, 
and requires sacrifice, which is why so few people these days are loving, serving, giving, and making a difference because it's so much easier to get a flamethrower and make a point, and that's dividing the church. And if you're a pastor, man, I feel for you. I, well, I'm with you. I feel for all of us right now. We are trying to hold on to these divided settings with polarized people with flamethrowers, and it's not easy. So let me just pray for you, for our churches, and for our countries. Heavenly Father, as we gather today, we recognize that you are God, we're not. And in all ages and in all seasons— no matter what has happened, you have been there. You promised you would never leave, never forsake. So we pray that you would bind the enemy who, who literally loves to steal and kill and destroy. Bind him in every person that's listening to this life. And Lord, I pray that you would surround them with your presence, surround them with your power, surround these people leading with your peace, give them strength, give them confidence, lower discouragement and replace it with hope. Help them to get their eyes back on you and help them be filled with your spirit. So no matter what happens, they would end up knowing the joy that comes from serving you and loving you no matter what's going on. And God, we're reminded that discipleship has flourished in adverse circumstances and the early church yeah, Christians changed the world with no power whatsoever. Lord, bring those days again in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. So, hey, so glad you're with us. Um, the, I got to show you something. Hold on, I'll be right back. All right. Had to show you this, people. This is a really cool thing. It's a COVID test. My wife and I, about oh, three weeks ago, found out we had been around somebody that had COVID, uh, not in proximity, but enough to bother us. And hey, at my age and stage, this isn't good news. So we're in Southern California. We both went to a clinic and had a COVID test, went back later to get the results. And I have to tell you, man, you're walking up to get your results of this COVID test. And you're like, this is making me nervous, making me a little bit afraid. And because at my age, I don't want this thing. And I walk up to the counter and they hand you this piece of paper. And it's almost like they're going, here, y'all hear that? Here, it's like, Here's your future. Here's your sentence. And I look down and it says negative test result. I'm going, yes. My wife says negative test result. Yes. So we were sky high. We hug each other. We're smiling. We're, our, our souls are lifted. We walk out in the parking lot. I'm hugging her. We're making out in the parking lot. It was awesome. And I go, it felt so good to test negative for COVID. That started me thinking testing negative for COVID is a great thing. However, there are things as a leader that if you test positive for are far more deadly than COVID. There are things as a leader, if you test positive for them, they're far more deadly than COVID. Okay? Bitterness, rising levels of bitterness are far more deadly to a leader than COVID. Rising levels of discouragement about the future and despair about the future are far deadlier to a leader than COVID. Rising levels of cynicism are far deadlier to the leader than COVID. And the reason I'm bringing that whole subject up with you is this. This is part two of a comprehensive thing that has took him a long time to put together. Instead of leading backwards, going, we're going to lead forward, okay? And this webinar 
is all about this subject, okay? What are seven things that every church leader in America, anybody leading anything actually, needs to do in the next 60 days? In other words, there are people that are going to lead smart, and when people lead smart, they have a good future. What are smart leaders going to do in the next 60 days? The first one relates to what I just said to you, which is number one is this. Question number one is, how will I lead the most important person in our church? Myself, which is making sure, listen to last week if you missed it, but it is making sure you have great things happening in you because then they'll happen through you. Question number two is this, what is our strategy for rebuilding the core? Because I realize, I realize everybody's talking about relaunching. Anybody that has relaunched is realizing the same thing. Man, I'm not just relaunching. We relaunched. Everybody didn't come back. How do I rebuild the core of our church? How do I rebuild our church? We need to think rebuilding instead of just open the doors. We've relaunched. Number three is this. How do I relaunch better and smarter? Especially how do I communicate how we're relaunching so that people on both sides respect us and are not turned off by us because we've given them healthy rationale. We covered that last week. Number four is this, and here, and the, you matter of fact, the election <laughs> a few days from now will bring us up. How healthy is our culture? How healthy is the culture of our church? And if you've got something to write with, or maybe just remember this, um, I put it into, into three things, okay? K-A-S, here it is, K-A-S. And, and every leader has three things, K-A-S, and it is this knowledge, attitude, and skills. Leadership, the way leaders are wired, you have a knowledge base, you have an attitude level, and then you have a skill level. Knowledge, attitude, and skill. And what I realized a long time ago is this, one of the problems with how a lot of us were prepped for ministry is this, you went to seminary for three years, or in my case, I cramped three into five, you went to seminary to be prepared for ministry and they didn't develop skills. They don't, they teach, they don't train. They didn't work on attitude. What they did was they raised your knowledge level. So people come out with a fine theological education with a whole lot of answers. The problem is most success in life is attitude. Most success in life and leadership is attitude and skill. And so the middle one, I've, I've, I can't tell you how many talented leaders I've met with where I've said, you have a great knowledge base. You're smart. Matter of fact, you probably know everything you need to know right now. You also are skilled. You're a good communicator. You're a good worship leader. You're a good whatever it is. You're, you, you're skilled or you wouldn't be around here. Every single problem you are ever going to have in life is going to be in the attitude area. And attitude is culture. Attitude is culture. You walk in and there's a culture. You can feel the attitude in a human being, okay? And we've realized a few weeks ago, a few minutes, a couple of years ago, we had to redo the culture of our church. And we actually spent an entire six-month period writing a culture statement determining who we wanted to be because you either drift or decide. And what happened is this. I realized, man, it is easy to drift instead of decide, and nobody ever drifts their way to a great thing. I've been at Bayside a long time. I was at Willow Creek. I have been at, at Southwest Church down in the desert. I've been in other settings in different leadership roles at different times. And I want to give you some things I've learned from churches that ended up in trouble, including us. When we have been in trouble, there tend to be some lessons learned from those things that hopefully create a healthy culture. And number one is this, culture trumps everything. 
culture trumps everything. You can have a state-of-the-art church. You can have 500,000 square feet of buildings. They're all paid off. You can have all that kind of stuff. But if people are disconnected and disenfranchised and the staff is bitter, it's almost like we've gotten all the stuff right, but we missed the main point. Culture trumps everything. Second thing about culture is this. Managing egos is hard. Managing egos is very difficult. And so having a lot of conversations about humility is a really good thing. The Bible makes a much bigger deal about humility than it does talent. Another culture thing is this, uh, and I've learned this in several settings, alcohol is a whole lot more dangerous than you think. Alcohol is a lot more dangerous than you think. Here at Bayside, other churches I've been at, a lot of things that hit the news there was alcohol present prior to whatever event caused it hit, to hit the news. And alcohol is more dangerous than you think. Harvard, Harvard University did a 25-year study on happiness. They studied people over 25 years, wrote the definitive paper on happiness from Harvard University. And at the very end, they had an, an addendum. And the addendum said this, we were shocked at the destructive power of alcohol on happiness. Okay, Now, I am not anti-alcohol, okay? Paul, Paul says to Timothy, take a little wine, you know, stuff like that. So you can, you can do with that. What I'm saying, though, is this. It is going to be very wise to make sure you keep control of something that if it gets out of control can be dangerous. And what I've learned in multiple ministry settings and from things that hit the news, alcohol almost always precedes destructive actions in a lot of these things where there has been indiscretions. Um, another one is, another culture thing is this. If you get everything else right, but you don't get culture right, nobody wants to be there. And here's another one. Unhealthy culture produces rising levels of arrogance. And it was so refreshing to be with Brian Houston. And Brian Houston and Hillsong have been, they have built on purpose what they call an honor culture, which means people honor the leader. And they honor the leaders. And I asked Brian, I said, how do, and I've seen that. Everybody see you're around Hillsong. They're honoring each other. They're not talking about each other behind their back. It's just a great, healthy culture. I want the same thing at Bayside. I want the same thing for your church. And I asked Brian, how do you do that? And he said, I do that by giving people honor. I went, that is a great way to go. Um, the, the culture of your church is going to be a huge thing. How healthy is it? If you want a copy of this, you can just you know go to our Thrive website and you can download it. Our pastors together, we gathered for six months and we just asked one question, who do we want to be? Who do we want to be? Who do we want to be? And we have 13 culture statements that we wrote just on culture. For example, which is weird in a church our size, health is more important than growth is our first culture statement. And... And so when you take a look at this stuff and you unpack it, you come up with just gather a group of people and say, who are we at our best? What do we want this to feel like? And around here, I can tell you what our three culture statements are. If you're on Bayside staff, we want you to live better, love better, and lead better because you're here. And when anybody comes on our staff, I sit down and I read this to them word by word and they sign it. And then once a year, we're getting ready to do this um, in, the, in the next couple of months. Once a year, our staff gathers and we all read it word for word and everybody signs it. And then we take communion together. We want to be recommitted. Uh, the, 
churches are going to, it's huge. The other thing, if you, if you have any way to write this down, this would be good. All ministry breaks up into one of three things, spirituality, chemistry, and strategy. Spirituality, chemistry, and strategy. I got this from Dave Olson, a brilliant guy, good friend of mine, okay? And spirituality is how are you in God and is there the spirit of God present and there's our authentic God stuff going on in the ministry, okay? As a leader, how's your level of spirituality? Then chemistry. Chemistry is how are you with people? Do you have high enough EQ? Do you get along with people? Do you treat people well? Are people, or do you warm up to people? Do they warm up to you? Spirituality, chemistry. And third is strategy. Strategy is brilliant ministry planning and strategic leadership and positioning people on the right buses and you're reading all these business books and sort of state-of-the-art leaders. And I have been in settings where they were amazing at strategy reading books by leaders who have written great leadership books on strategy, brilliant stuff, a whole conferences on leadership strategy where the chemistry and spirituality levels didn't match the strategy level. The thing ends up bankrupting because the Bible says, seek first, not the kingdom of strategy, but it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which means when you think about healthy culture, Make sure the spirituality level is strong. I was just with our worship leaders yesterday and uh, or two days ago, and I went around the room and I just said, I want to know which service you are in sitting down, taking notes. In other words, you've got to be part. I've been in some ministry settings where people led the service. They were just never in the service, which means they're not modeling for their family. Spirituality, chemistry, and strategy. Dave Olson, thank you for that one. Okay. And the... Last one is this, motives matter under the culture thing. Motives matter. Um, I think it was Ch Chuck Swindoll who said recently, here's a ministry question that you've got to answer way up front. And here it is. Do you want to be great or do you want to build a great church? Jesus never died so you could have a podcast, which sounds weird on this podcast. But the, um, do you want to be great and be known as being great, or do you want to build a great church? There are that is a polar opposite style of ministry is going to make that happen. Okay. And ultimately, how healthy is our culture? All of us right now are relaunching and rebuilding our church. It would be a mistake just to reopen the doors and at the same time not think strategically about who do we want to be at our best? What do we want it to feel like here? The closer you get to the center of a church, the healthier it should be. How do you create that kind of culture? And pastor, leader, I promise you, if you will build a healthy culture, you will want to be there. You will want to walk into your office. You will want to. They will be honoring you. You will be honoring them. That is a great way to go. You cannot afford to have people on our staff that don't honor you. You can get people that don't honor you for free. Don't pay somebody to dishonor you. Okay? The fifth question is this, and this is massive. What growth limiters do I need to break? What growth limiters do I need to break? And I want to give you five growth limiters right now that we're having conversations about that need to be broken if you're going to continue to expand the kingdom of God. Here they go. Growth limiter number one is this, complacency. Growth limiter number one is complacency. And sometimes that's complacency in me, the leader, because I'm discouraged. A lot of times it's complacency in the staff, okay? And when staff 
hears fresh vision as more work instead of exciting future things from God, at that point, staff needs to have an attitude adjustment or they need to be changed out because tired lieutenants don't take fresh territory. So growth killer number one can be complacency. Growth killer number two, bitterness. Bitterness is anchored in the past and nobody looks forward or dreams well when they're looking backward and when they're bitter. The third growth limiter is this, stagnancy, stagnancy. And a great question to ask is this, before we broke for COVID, what ministries were stagnant? Now, most churches, it's going to be honest, it's going to be more than 87% of Protestant churches in this country are stagnant or in decline, which means most ministries in most churches are stagnant or in decline. A really smart set of questions to ask as you relaunch or rebuild are this, okay? Number one is, what are our core ministries? What are the ministries that have to do well? What ministries around here have to be thriving? At Bayside, we have seven of them, okay? A couple of them, for example, children's is one of them. Youth is one of them. Actually, we separate junior high and high school are separate because there's such big deals around here, okay? And so when, the other thing is this, we added married couples to that this year. It's a brand new thought for us. So um, so we're going, which of those things are, and then which of those things were stagnant when we broke, which means we've got to do whatever we need to do to set those things on fire. The fourth growth limiter, growth killer is this, distraction. Distraction can be a growth killer and it can be distracted by good things. It can be distracted by toxic people. Uh, to be honest, I have been way more distracted by unhappy people fighting with each other. I've gone home to Carol. I said, man, I didn't sign up to be a referee and it feels like all I'm doing these days, which is distracting us from launching things, encouraging people, creating new ministries, launching new churches, starting new ministries, killing it with teenagers and youth and adults and all the stuff and taking the next Thrive Conference and blowing it sky high, all of that stuff. Man, what he's saying is this, don't get distracted, carve out time. I'm actually having to get to the point where I'm going, I'll put an hour a day to distractions and then let's get to the other stuff and just set meetings around future things. And the Fifth growth killer is this risk aversion, risk aversion. Now, we have hundreds of people on staff here. Some of our staff people are risk lovers, okay? I mean, you tell them jump off a cliff, they just got happier. Other people on the other side, when it comes to COVID, they are risk averse, okay? I mean, they we are not going to meet. Both fringes can't determine your actions, you cannot let risk-averse people stop you from launching healthy ministry. However, you've got to launch in a way that if it's possible to lower the risk, lower the risk, but risk aversion can replace it. And the other thing I'd say, and some of you in a previous podcast may have heard this, um, the big growth limiter, and maybe the most important thing I could tell you is this, the biggest growth limiter for me was inside me. Um, to back it up, uh, in March, our Thrive Conference, which a lot of you are at, and by the way, we're going to do it this year and you come in person or online. Um, our Thrive Conference, we had to cancel it. And I was brokenhearted. It, I love building leaders. I especially love encouraging leaders. I love, un, I, most of you have become like family. It's a family that gathers every year. And, and I went, I'm going to miss that in Southern California and in Northern California. I was heartbroken. I was deeply discouraged that we had to cancel it and we pulled the plug on it. 
And it was in my backyard. Oh, I was in a backyard in, in uh, Southern California two days later. And I went, I'm spending some time with God. And God crystal clear said to me something that changed me. He said, if you will let go of discouragement and replace it with dreaming, the world can be a better place. I'm gonna say it again. If you will let go of discouragement and replace it with dreaming, the world just might be a better place. It was a crystal clear word from God. And so I let go of discouragement and then I took that Thrive Conference and I just started dreaming. And what if we launched the what if we launched an online conference? And what if we, instead of charging, let's just make it free. Okay. And then instead of localizing it, let's send it out worldwide. And let's lose money on this thing. And what if could we actually build the largest ever completely online, absolutely free leadership conference in America? Let's invite everybody. Will anybody say yes to speak in this thing for free? And we went after all these folks. And could we raise money at this and make it a compassion first event? And we did this full on massive global leadership conference. And I literally thought, okay, you know, we had 6,000 people in person. Oh man, maybe 8,000 people will show up to this thing. 434,000 individual devices turned in, 113 countries. The first question asked was in Swahili, and two people answered that question in Swahili. I've never seen anything like it. And I thought, man, maybe that's it. If the Spirit of God can stop us from being discouraged, if He can get us to let go of discouragement and replace it with dreaming, your church and every ministry in it and your community just might be a better place. And the only way you do that is by asking this question. Here it is. What would a massive win look like? What would a massive win look like? That's the question you ask on the thing. So for, I'm in a meeting. I'm in a meeting today in about an hour, okay? Uh, we're asking one question. What would a massive win look like. And by the time we're done, we'll have scripted, prayed, and laid out what will a massive win look like. There are growth limiters that need to to be broken. And there's five growth killers. However, if you will replace discouragement with dreaming, you get, by the way, this is six, which is an unfocused, unmotivated staff. That's a whole nother webinar we'll get back to. Okay. Number six is this. Okay. Six, question six, great leaders, smart leaders. Here's what they're going to do. They're going to ask this question. How do I build a ministry team for the future? How do I build a ministry team for the future? As I said a couple minutes ago, tired lieutenants don't take fresh territory. You may need some, a fresh new team and some fresh new volunteers to tell you where you need to go. We're actually encouraging every church in America right now to plan a 30% staff cut in advance. So you don't have to do it on the side. You don't have to tell anybody who that's gonna be or how. But here's, because crisis, here's what crisis does. All of us are having a chance to observe our staff people during a time of crisis. Crisis does five things. Crisis clarifies, number one, who you can count on. Crisis clarifies who you can count on. Crisis number two clarifies who is wise and who isn't wise. Henry Cloud says there's three kinds of people, the wise, the foolish, and the evil. Crisis in your organization will help you figure out who on your board is wise, who on your staff is wise, who is calm. Number three, crisis clarifies who on your staff and in your church is emotionally stable because those are the people you can count on who's emotionally stable. Number four is crisis clarifies 
in your organization who doesn't have your back. You're going to discover who doesn't have your back. And you, and you've probably discovered that in the last six months. Okay. That will tell you something you do not want to pay people for not having your back. You can get that for free. Number five, crisis clarifies who is more committed to their part than they are the whole. Who is more committed to their part than they are the whole because they are going to be a problem on your church. And then when you start asking questions about like individual staff people, who should I keep? Who shouldn't I keep? Um, here's the things I would ask. Are there people on my staff right now that I wouldn't hire? If so, maybe wise to think about a change. Okay, number two is this. Are there people on my staff not working as hard as I am? Okay, that's a bad sign when people aren't pulling their part of the wagon. Number three is, are there people on my staff that don't have my back? If there are people that don't have your back, that is a really bad sign. You're going to be in worse shape. Your church is going to be in worse shape. And it's terrible modeling for honoring it for the rest of the staff. Next question is this. Are there people on my staff that I can't trust or don't trust? Are there just people I don't trust? Number Next one on this is, are there people on my staff that just don't get it? They just don't get it. You're just kind of going, are they, where we're going, they can't envision it. They don't get it. If so, it may be time for a change. And here's why. The potential of your organization rests on the strength and health of its leaders. The potential of your organization rests on the strength and health of its leaders. Question number six is this, how do I build a team for the future? Because your entire future depends on this. The potential of your organization will rest on the strength of your team and the health of your team. So if there are people, they're not strong and they're not healthy, maybe it's time for a change or it's a conversation and it's time to get this thing moving. This number six is this. Sixth question is this. What's my three-stage plan for cutting budget 50%? Okay, and this is pretty simple. I would just ask the question, if we had to cut 30%, 40% and 50% pre-plan those cuts. So you don't have to do it at that right time. You don't have to tell anybody, just keep it. And if you know, because some of us are hearing a lot of things, the amount of businesses that are being lost eventually is going to have a ripple effect on lower levels of tithing. Okay. We'll do an entire seminar in the future on financial health in terms of how do you raise it? How do you manage it? And number seven to wrap it up is this, how will we restore unity? How will we restore unity? Okay. Most of our churches have been fragmented and ultimately culture controls unity even when we disagree. And the we will do an entire seminar on unity after the election when we think it's most needed. Okay. However, what I would do to wrap this up is by saying this. The only way unity is going to be restored is this emotional maturity, emotional maturity. Okay. And we're going to have to sort of shift a little bit as we move and we relaunch and rebuild. Part of that rebuilding is going to be rebuilding our staff. And I'm adding a category to people that we hire. And the category to people we hire is this. We are going, we have got to hire people with higher levels of emotional maturity in order to have an organization to handle unstable time. 
So, hey, I know this is like taking a drink from a fire hose and coming at you all fast. Um, we love you, appreciate you, but to flip it over to the host right now. But we are so glad you're with us. If this has been helpful to you, let us know. Uh, you can like us. You can forward this to everybody you know. Um, our goal is this. We are praying that as a result of you being connected to us, not only are you more encouraged, okay, but this inspires some ideas because inspired people live better, love better, and lead better. So thanks so much for being part of this. God bless. Thank you again, Ray, for wisdom. Wow. That was moleskin worthy. That was a moleskin moment. And I hope you took some notes. I hope you uh, share this with your team and with your staff, with a friend. Text a pastor friend and say, hey, go check this out. Again, like link them to the podcast app you download your podcasts from. Send them to thriveconference.org to the, to the webinar so they can watch it on video. But let's share this. Let's get the word out. It's uh, it's a tough time for us as leaders with all the crazy stuff going on, uncertainty. But let's bring let's bring clarity. Let's bring hope. Let's let's be optimists. Let's lean in. Let's st- stand up and stick out because that's what leaders do. And regardless of circumstances, we are required and called as leaders to uh, be the ones that are willing to to go first. So hopefully you enjoyed this. We'll have more interviews teachings, recommendations on upcoming episodes. So if you would subscribe to this podcast, also rate and review it on your favorite podcast app. That helps us get the word out, share it with a friend. We appreciate you. We're for you. We're in your corner and we want you to be a leader who is healthy and also to have a thriving church. So healthy leaders, thriving churches. That's our goal. Thanks again to Ray Johnston. And this has been the Ray Johnson Leadership Podcast, and I'm your host, Brad Lominick. We'll talk to you on the next episode.